Cheers, Chris. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's happy hour. I have an iced tea. I'm not allowed to drink until the beginning of the month. Um, court order. Brian, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It's a weird court order. Uh, really excited tonight to welcome to the show Stephen Falk and Chris Gear. You know them from You're the Worst, one of the great comedies of, I don't know, like pick a pick a, an era. Uh, how long do you like to say you're <laughs> 100 years, 200 years, uh, but it ran for five seasons on FX, was genuinely fantastic. Um, and they are getting back together for an event on Sunday, uh, a reunion to benefit Feeding America. Um, you can access, you can buy tickets this way. We'll show you this. Um, nice. And uh, it, rolls, it, it rolls off the tongue. It's just like, <laughs> it's right in your browser. I mean, I, look, I, I gotta I, pick I, that up with the event right people. That that really isn't us. I mean, we're just we're just working with what we were given. Like that's <laughs> remember when we used, to, when we used to say that for every website? We used to go, it's www. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we, this is literally cut and pasted. <laughs> like yeah. this is what we were provided. Yeah. I, I just put up what Andy puts in the thing. And you, so, guys, I mean, you, guys, you guys can't even afford a tiny URL or a Bitly. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you've noticed the absence of sponsors on this show, haven't you? So I think you can answer that question. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so six o'clock uh, Eastern time, three o'clock out here. You go to Eventbrite, and we'll we'll tweet this out a bunch of times over the course of the show. You buy yourself some tickets, and uh, you get your yourself access to this. Um, so, explain what's going to be going on. There's going to be like a, a reading and a Q and A and all that. What 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 is this? Well, this is a, um, a a company that's been doing these during the pandemic. I don't know if they they were around before uh, Play Per View, and they've been doing all the all the big ones. And and basically, we are going to the the entire cast and. All of the um, the the co-stars and then even the guest stars of a particular episode that I picked are going to be on the computer doing a live read of an episode from season two um, called "A Rapidly Mutating Virus." But it's a really good episode. Um, Paul uh, Paul F. Tompkins is going to join us and do some nice. of the, the, nice. the minor minor bits um, and. I'm going to be reading the stage directions and, and the, the woman, uh, Leah Wellbaum from Slothrust, who did our theme song. She's going to perform it live at the beginning. Our composer, Adam Blau, is going to be there Adam, uh, 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 playing some of the music from the show. Um, we're sort of clearly we're all just bored and miss each other. Uh, <laughs> we, were, we were all available. And um, and yeah, I think it's going to be really it's really fun. And I, I sort of said this on Instagram and I, I meant it. I don't get excited about much, particularly not like things I have to do or, and particularly not things I have to do in front of the computer like this. But um, I am genuinely really, really excited about this, uh, this reading coming up on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, and obviously uh, you're helping out feeding America and what in particular drew Wait, what, you we're giving money away. We're not <laughs> giving it? Oh. Well, well, I, I figure, I figured that uh, feeding America was your shell company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm located in the Galapagos islands. And, uh... Exactly. I mean, look, what, what you guys do with this money is up to you. And I, I want to make it very clear. Brian and I know nothing about this. We, again, we're going the information that we were given and where this money gets funneled to in case they need witnesses, we know absolutely nothing 
But like, what what were you allowed to choose the the organization that you wanted to help with, or did did they choose it for you? How, how did you end up with Feeding America? Well, I I you know I asked them if we could. Um, donate to the legal defense fund for the good patriots who stormed the Capitol on the 6th. But uh, they, for some reason, they said no. And then I just said, I don't give a shit. Fucking cancel culture, man. Hungry, hungry people, I guess. No, um, no, this was something that I think they are contracted or it's a pet project of theirs. Yeah. But Feeding America, I I assume it's legitimate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, Chris, why do you care about feeding America? Oh, yeah, no one's, no one's feeding Britain at the moment either. So, uh, I think Andy just walked right. Someone. I think Andy just walked right into that first day of law school thing where they say, "Don't ask the question unless you know what the answer is going to be." No, I, well, I mean, the reason. Okay, really, the reason that I asked, um, you know, other than you know, I guess my wrongheaded thought that I could get some sincerity uh, in the response was just. Um, the show actually itself has done a lot of comedy rooted in serious causes. Like yeah. you guys actually got into serious stuff like depression, uh, Jimmy's character's relationship with his father, uh, Edgar's mm-hmm. PTSD. So I thought maybe, just maybe there could be some elevated response <laughs> other than contractually obligated. Well, <laughs> I, I, you've, you've heard Chris's accent. He takes the, uh, he gives the elevated responses. Chris, what, 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 what do you have to say? <laughs> I, I I have no idea. I I have, to trust, I have to trust that this is a legitimate. Otherwise, we really are the fools. <laughs> uh, but um, no, I th- I think it's great. It's a it's selfishly it's a wonderful opportunity to like catch up with 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 our family. You know, it's a it's nothing's nothing's really been like you're the worst since we all finished and. It's just a fantastic opportunity to do it again. I remember watching, what was it? They did the Goonies early on in, yeah. in lockdown. I was like, this is so cool. It was such a great idea. And everyone coming back and then everyone started doing it. And then as soon as it was uh, entertained that we we would do this, uh, the internet loved it. So I'm, I'm so excited to do it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's to dovetail on what Chris said. I think it is actually really, really nice that we're able to um, connect with the you know the 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 people who liked our show and miss our show and it's 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 really nice to be able to just kind of hang with them I think uh, as a cast we were I wasn't in the cast but I I, I got to hang out with them occasionally and uh and I, they the, the closeness that they had with each other and also just like in general they're all just really good people who do charity work and and are constantly doing good things or at least um saying good things um it, it's it's inspiring and they're they're they you know this is we're we're i know we're dumb hollywood liberals but um this is a really good group of people who genuinely loved each other and i think not that you to answer a question you didn't ask um i think part of what made the show um, really kind of enjoyable for a lot of people is that I think the goodwill that everyone had and the fun that everyone had came off uh, on the screen. And I don't mean like in an Ocean's 13 way where they <laughs> clearly just wanted to go and fucking party in Monaco or wherever the third one was set, but um, but that that they all just really, really liked the show and liked being with each other and, and everyone's still really, really close. It's kind of yeah. remarkable. It's, it's wonderful how, how people ahead, are connected 
connected to us, even though we'd never met them. It's lovely. And it seems like the seems like the fan base has just been growing since we finished. And, you know, I get messages every day from people saying that they were they were inspired or affected or or just just loved it. You know, and it's uh, it's great. It's a lovely opportunity for us all to kind of look through the photo album. It, of, well, um, I mean, if, 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 if people missed a season or two, they've had time to catch up, which probably yeah. makes, makes a difference. I've started it again. I've started yeah. it again. I'm, I'm in the minority of actors that really don't mind watching myself. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. I'm just wife, so I, fucking good in the show. I, just, <laughs> I need to keep watching it again. Well, it's, it's fun. Do you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to be um, I'm going to be posting something very cool actually on instagram that uh my manager and i have been putting together which is a um my first audition for you're the worst on oh, tape wow. that i sent from england intercut with the actual scene and really uh, it's so cool it's really is it's wow. it's so fun to look back on it and i was like oh my god and i was just this you know i don't know how old i was oh, how many years ago was I? i'm so old now <laughs> Um, but it's uh, it was it was fantastic to reminisce on on where I was kind of mentally at that point, and the fact I was so carefree and just like just go for it. This is brilliant. And then watching the show, and it really isn't that different, uh, and it kind of shows me how much trust Stephen had in me to to do it. So uh, that was fascinating. Wow. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing that. Well, I sorry, sorry guys. I know, I know, we haven't let you talk, but um, no. uh, just that that really reminded me when I was auditioning people for for the Jimmy character, um, who was written as uh, in, uh, American guy. Um, I auditioned everyone, and not to denigrate any of the the fine people who auditioned, but just no one quite hacked it. And then I got this little tape, probably. Probably a DVD, uh, probably a DVD, or maybe even a, a file. I was about yeah, to say a VHS yeah, yeah, tape. Um, yeah, and he's behind the camera like this. <laughs> and, and with Chris reading and and saying these words with an accent that I didn't know that I'd actually written the character in, kinda. And um, and immediately I was like, oh, I guess he's english yeah that perfectly makes sense and chris flew out and was just lovely and his his kid had just been born his first child and uh he still got on a plane and came out and and nailed it and uh, there's no great moral there except um when the right actor walks in the door um just you all all, all preconceived notions of the character should go out the window i think because, and even the, for people who don't know the character was yeah. not written for originally conceived as a British guy. No, not at all. I mean, like, yeah, um, I, I, I don't care because I, I don't really care. But like, I met with like Adam Pally. You know, he was he was the first guy I met with, and he it, that he it was that type that I that I saw. I didn't end up working out because um, I think he hated me. But uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, that's sort of more of the type of guy I, I wrote it as in my mind. How long did what, it take? What was it about the audition that clicked it in that way? Um, there's a there's an eloquence that that Chris has, even though he had to look up a lot of the words because I wrote him as a very um, pretentious writer. I mean, his name is Jimmy Shive Overly, um, and that was the name even when he was an American dude. Um, but he just had the haughtiness and the. Uh, and the hotness and the ability 
<laughs> the ability to say sort of really nasty things but remain charming and uh, i hate the word likable but um but but watchable and charismatic um and and likable and yeah and i mean chris is just a tremendous tremendous actor you talked before both of you guys about like how how close this cast grew and that's one of the reasons you guys are excited to be doing this fundraiser beyond just the good cause of it all how, how long did it take for that to build because you there was a lot in there that was you know friendships that had already been developed and from the beginning was, you had to establish that i think it was pretty instantaneous actually because we were um were all in the audition room at the same time doing our screen test at the same time um and it was terrifying for all of us and and then it was rewarding for all of us and then it was exciting for us all to be on set and then it was terrifying again wondering whether we were going to get picked up um and so we went through the whole thing together and you know over over five years you do i mean it's so typical to say but you do become a family and you go through all the ups and downs and everything together and we can't say that we were best friends every single day that doesn't happen it's not that's not real life but we did stick with each other throughout everything and you know i can vouch for you know however many sets i've been on is that that's not always the case and uh it's it's just refreshing and it will be always the bar that i will set for myself to to try and find that that next thing you know it's, it's about that charisma is there you guys mentioned you and we're just talking about now that that's sort of the dynamic that you have with the cast is in terms of how people get along and how they interact is it is it different is there a different kind of of necessity for a, a cast camaraderie or chemistry or whatever word you want to use when the people that you are playing on screen are often doing intensely unlikable okay. things to each other and you know are not good people to each other in the work that you're doing. Well, I, you know, I, I've witnessed both, um, you know, and I, I don't want to, I don't want people to IMDB sort of de do detective work, but you can, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I, I've written some stuff that is really intense um, and had actors not support each other. And, and frankly, I've had actors like come to me afterwards crying because one of the actors totally, just tanked their performance when they were off camera, gave nothing, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're off camera and you're sort of just reading the lines behind the camera for the other actor, this person just like went dead and gave nothing back. And it was a really intense uh, emotional scene. Um, and so, I mean, and that, that came out of the off screen chemistry and, and sort of the, the jealousy or, or the not wanting the other person to have the moment, you know, sort of. Um, and I and with this cast, it was the exact opposite. Everyone was so generous and so wanted the uh, the others to to do well and supported each other. And and they would they would meet at each other's house and run lines even uh, in the fifth season when everyone's lives were you know a lot more complicated and busy. Um, so I, I I don't know about you, Chris, but I my observation is that it's you don't have to you can hate each other and be a dick and then have a lot of great fuel that, that might fuel a scene, but certainly yeah. not a, not a five season um, comedy mixed with a lot of intense stuff. I think you need a good amount of chemistry. And yeah, trust. I, don't, I don't know whether there's, a, a, I've never known of a, a written formula for chemistry, but 
I think if I were to write one, it would be wanting the other person to be the best that they can be. And, um, you know, that we, we got to know each other's kind of styles and, and moods on and offset. And we knew how to draw the best out of each other. And whether we needed to give them space, give each other space, or whether we needed to distract the other one, or whether we needed to just keep running lines or talking about the scene or doing something, we we found our own formula. And, um, you know, Desi, Aya, Kether and I are four incredibly different people, but we are, we're family. We, we know each other so well. And the, it, the, you know, I spoke to Aya this morning. You just, you don't, you don't do that. Most shows, you don't do that. And, you know, there was an audition that has just come through for me and I wanted to talk to her about it. And it, that's, that's pretty unique, you know? Well, a couple of years later, five seasons down the line, both of us have gone in different directions. We live in different states. You know, it's, it's, it's super cool and I'm never gonna take that for granted. You know? I'm, I'm working with um, uh, the guys who played the rappers, um, Daryl, Brandon, and oh God, Alan. Yeah, we're awesome. doing so, we're doing something together. Um, and they were telling me that like Daryl was talking about getting an audition and then immediately calling Brandon and being like, "Yo, tell your agent you got to go up for this." Like you're mm. like they, they're supporting each other, and they and I was like, "That's that's really rare and 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 yeah. crazy." I mean, Desi and I are working together on the, the same production right now. Really. Amazing. Yeah, they're both they're both working on a on a show um, together. It's it's amazing. A Paul Fink show, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little that's little country something like that. Anyway, it was an adaptation of an English show, but um, yeah, I mean they're there. I mean, Kether's on Kether's on TV at the moment. Yeah. Everyone's doing other things, and we're all supporting each other. It's not it's not just about giving someone a like. You know, I, I spoke to uh, Todd just before Christmas, uh, who plays Vernon. Yeah. And I said oh, to him, um, that guy. <laughs> no, that guy. And, you know, and I, I said to him, right, my kid is now eight. It's Christmas. Can I, you know, what, what movie should I be watching? You know, I, I send him emails and he'll go, well, when his, when his boy was this age, he was watching this and stuff like that. It's just small bits of kind of connection. I'm, I'm, you know, I miss these guys a lot. Uh, so we, get, we want to take a question here, real quick, uh, for for you, Steve, from Sector Cruise on the chat board. What's more difficult, writing a sh uh, whether writing a show for cable or regular TV, in terms of the limitations that you see? Why does Sector Cruise start the question with "sorry"? You know, <laughs> because he had written a question before and it cut off. And oh, I was letting I was, him know that it actually cut off. Claim, claim your claim your inquiry. Oh, He's afraid to look you in the eyes, Steve. Your television's Stephen Falk. I'm right. Well, also, too, you look like an insane person. So I, 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 I wouldn't look you I, directly either. That's, I might ask for change. <laughs> <laughs> He's worried you're going to be grouchy from that day at the docks. <laughs> I'm a stevedore now. Um, it's a very versatile look. Look, I think, I mean, I, some people really thrive on network television, like Mike Shore, who does The Good Place and and um, Parks and Rec and, and other things. I think he's found a way, or, or even uh, Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, um, who did 30 Rock. And then, you know, they have Mr. Mayor right now. And, and I think they have found a way to make network really sing and, and work for them. Um, I, my... 
I'm not as smart as them and my jokes, I kind of need to be able to rely on some, some good curse words to make, <laughs> make, make the funny happen. Um, but limitations in general, I think are really useful as an artist. Um, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a, a amount of time you have or, or even a, a language thing, we couldn't say, we couldn't freely curse until I think the fifth season where we really could just say, Whatever I remember the, the day when we saw one in the script and we were like, I can't believe you. <laughs> yeah. What was the yeah. word? What was the first word you got to use? I think I think got an F-bomb, didn't she? Yeah, I think she got fucked. I mean, because I think um, uh, uh, the People versus OJ kind of dropped a lot and then Atlanta did and I went into FX, within the FX yeah. uh, world. Yeah. And so I, I went to Landgraph. I was like, so I'm just going to do it. We can just do it now. And he was like, I mean, whatever it's, you know, cause like the sensors are sort of a separate, separate thing. Um, but limitations are good. Um, but I do like writing for, for cable or, or streaming, um, because of those limitations are gone and, and we didn't get to have boobies, but when I did weeds and oranges, new black, I immediately put in some boobs. Uh, um, and so I look forward to being able to do that again. Well, you're still young enough, Steve. You've got something to shoot for as your career continues. I mean, yes. like, this is the thing that keeps you going. Yeah, yeah. Do you notice anything, Chris, from a performer's perspective? Like in, in, in terms, terms of the limitations with, uh, you know, regular TV versus cable. Well, Chris, Chris went and did Modern Family for a bunch of seasons. Yeah, I mean, I went, uh, it's not really, apart from, apart from a language thing. I mean, the, and, and the, just the pace, the pace of it. I mean, I remember doing uh, Modern Family and You're the Worst in the same day, one day. It was, it was hands down one of the coolest days ever. And we shot two pages of You're the Worst in the afternoon, but I'd already done 11 pages for Modern Family. So the pace was like, yeah. you know, you, it's it's wonderful. It's such a well-oiled machine, that show. Um, well, probably because the show everyone, was an asshole about everything. Say again. Probably. Probably the, the show, you know, the creator of the show probably just isn't an asshole about everything, making you do everything <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> well, <I'm> <laughs> they call him <laughs> Stephen Fincher Falk. We were we were allowed more more time, more locations. You know, you're you're in one studio on the Fox lot doing Modern Family, and and yeah, the the, the characters just all knew each other so well. Mm -hmm. you're fitting into this well-oiled machine and you've either got to step it up or you're out. Also, they, and, they, sh they shoot multi-camera and just swing around and fight. It's mockumentary style, even though it's not a mockumentary crew. So that's how they can tear through pages. Also, Ed O'Neill has to be out by about three or he gets cranky. So they're, they're, they're pretty much done. No comment. What's it like? Though, what is it like, though, Chris, to walk into? I mean, because that's that's very different than what you were describing before about you know these people coming together and everybody meets, and then now all of a sudden everybody's you know, kind of going through it at the same time. To walk into Modern Family is a what was that experience like? I think I was quite fortunate because I wasn't fully aware of the hype of the show because I was English, and even though it was on, it wasn't you know, the Emmy award winning show that everyone over here knows it as. So to me, it was just a cool comedy that I used to catch on TV every so often in, in England. And I purposefully didn't watch too much of it before I went in. So I wasn't going to get spooked by it. I just, I just kind of watched a few episodes with the characters that I was playing opposite so that I could see how I could help them. 
because that was my job come in and 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 make make them look as best as they could so as were, good they, as they, were could. they nice to you they they were hands down the most fantastic bunch of people i mean we did five years and solid friendships came from the end of it they these guys 11 years down the road are our proper family wow. it was amazing and a lot of the a lot of the crew actually as well had been there from season one um it was quite fortunate because a lot of the crew on modern family had worked with us on uh their off seasons um so i had a couple of familiar faces to to see every day that was great that's very cool. I got kind of a deep cut question for Steve from Jeremy Wine. Curious to know if you can discuss the decision to change the title sequence between two and seasons two and three might have been three to four. That is deep cut. No, that's a that's a really yeah inside ba inside baseball question. Um, I I love title sequences. I can't guarantee I'll always have them, but I probably will. And uh, and that is has to do with the. Um, suddenly time doesn't really matter you used to be really stuck to in network you know 20 minutes and 30 seconds of actual screen time and your credits count and and it used to be 25 26 when the original like cheers you know and 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 even going back like gilligan's island had a really long theme um uh, i so i really like themes and I, I i think it's kind of sets the tone for the show and now if you look everything is just like girls and then or atlanta and then <laughs> You know, maybe a little musical sting. Um, but now with streaming, and they don't really care how long shit is. Um, I mean, small acts is like an hour or some or two. It doesn't matter, um, which I think is a not not the greatest thing for comedy. Um, I think you do need a sort of a time restriction. But anyway, long story short. Um, so I, I still wanted to have a title sequence. Uh, a, I was getting a little tired of that. B, the actors um had changed they just you know changed their looks gotten older um uh, gotten fitter gotten um uh, just grew up a little bit and i and i it always just sort of bothered me when shows use the same title sequence like five six years in and it felt like a good opportunity to to change it so that's why i did wasn't the the, the first uh title wasn't the footage for that taken during our costume fittings before we'd even? Yeah, that was actually that was a that was the camera test for like makeup and hair and camera That's test funny. footage. Oh, really? Yeah. So those are people you know holding up uh, outfits or just doing a little twirl. And our director of the pilot, um, uh, Jordan Boat Roberts, was just sort of directing them to do things. We were checking out lenses and getting to know each other. That's why you can see tape marks on the floor and like. And and then our editor, and I can't remember which editor, I, I'm sorry, but came up with it and just said, here, because I had the song um, and just cut it together. And I was like, that's, that's. That was really great. cool. Yeah, it caught this playfulness that you, that we could, if we had tried to stage it, it would have been pretty stupid. Yeah, of course, we had we had no idea that that's what you were doing. And yeah. we hadn't even filmed day one. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Wow, yeah. That's lovely. I mean, I, I that just speaks to, I guess, just the openness you guys, whether as a performer, whether as a writer, creator, just what I mean, you just have to be open to things different than you expected, you know, because sometimes something is going to be better. I mean, for example, getting Chris on this show as a Brit for that role is better than what you had originally conceived. But if you've been closed off to it or just been like, no, he has to be American, 
it could have led to a very different and probably bad decision. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, generally speaking, and and this is something I still need, struggle with a lot. Um, you, you do all the work and you have your ideas and you have your shot list if you're directing and you have your script if you're if you're writing. And then if a better idea comes along or something happens on the day that 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 it, it, it's better than what you thought of, even if it came from one of the actors or a crew member or uh, you know, someone's visiting cousin, you just roll with it. Uh, and I, I think the, the, you know, you do all the preparation and then you open yourself up to inspiration is the best way to do it. How long does it take to learn that lesson? A lifetime. I'm still learning it. I just know it, but I know a lot of shit that I don't really actually practice. I know, <laughs> I know drinking isn't good for you. It's also <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's only the ama that says it's bad for you and you know yeah. all, the, all the different clinics and places like that but you know they're they're run by big sobriety that's where they get big, all their big sobriety where they get all their money from exactly uh, i i want i wanted to ask both you guys about like you're the worst really pushed the limits in terms of what could be funny with really selfish behavior <laughs> and I mean, there's a lot. We meet the uh, couple at the center of the show stealing a gift uh, from a wedding. And these characters end up really in, endearing in a fucked up way. But they are selfish throughout the entirety of this show. And it, it got me thinking about the selfishness that we've seen in the COVID era. And you know, I was wondering if you if you think you could make something like anti-masking behavior funny or the unwillingness to social distance funny because like yeah. there, there's a it, difference between humor that you feel like you shouldn't laugh at but you are versus stuff that seems to be aggressively upsetting people that people don't want to laugh at because they genuinely don't find it funny like not that you would look to do it but you think you could do it this is this is um where I'm secretly manifesting a random season six to come from nowhere because not only, I mean, I remember speaking to Stephen about, you know, when we finished after season five, I said, what would you like to explore if we were to do another one? And he said, you know, just them being parents, which would be fantastic. But every time something happens in life, real life, I often wonder how Jimmy and Gretchen would react to those things. Would they, would they wear masks? Would they... Would they protest? Would they uh, loot? Would they counteract the problem? What would they do? I mean, this is this is what the, the fans could always relate to because they they took what all of us are thinking and actually showed it in a different way. You know, they 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 physically or or through through language just spoke about the truth. It was is refreshing to people because most of the <laughs> most of the problems that that Gretchen and Jimmy had, we all have, and they just they just spoke about it in a more kind of harsh but yet succinct way. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, selfish behavior is just behavior. Right. Um, even <laughs> even even behavior that is that is um, uh, meant to. Uh, impact the world in a good way, or, or even a character is a total do-gooder, they're doing it for their own reasons. 
and that is selfish. So, you know, for me, there's nothing funnier than than um, than a character staking out their or, or, or staking their flag on any issue um, in a wrongheaded way. I think that's funny, and I, I you know, and, and I think everyone is self motivated, and that's why the that's sort of why I wrote the show, not to like portray assholes, but to to really rebel against this very American notion of likability in mm -hmm. um, in TV characters. Mm -hmm. You know, I, because honestly, I getting back to the Britishness of it all, I, I was raised on a lot of British television and characters, you know, even from like, you know, later ones like Ned and Stacy and Ab Fab and they 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 were allowed to just be be really monstrous and um and that was funny and real to me um and they didn't have to sort of sort of always keep this eye on this sort of network idea of, of making sure your character is likable yeah because that's not humanity i mean the you know right. like when, when i think of the characters that i that the characters that go down in history you know you're looking at like 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 Falstaff or or, um, or 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 Sam on Cheers or Tony Soprano or or Al Swearingen who soliloquizes while he's getting his Larry David, up. yeah, or Larry David. I mean, these are these are characters. Their their behavior is not good. I mean, uh, uh, um, Tony Soprano kills people oh, while sure. he's showing his daughter around. And so, I guess my point being that. That I don't care about likability. What I care about is watchability. Oh, sure. I, to me, what, what's just interesting about it isn't the idea of likability, because yeah. I, I agree with you. Likability is not mandatory at all to make characters interesting. Most of the shows I like feature unlikable characters. It's just interesting what people will allow themselves to laugh at versus not laugh at, you know, versus really not wanting to laugh at something because. Everybody has a strong, like if you're talking about, for example, masks during COVID, people are outraged in their reaction to it one way or the other. They're either outraged because they have to wear one or they're outraged because you're seeing somebody not wear one. And these videos that go viral of these confrontations, I've never seen anybody react to it with shit. That's kind of, I mean, this behavior is so ridiculous. It's hilarious. Yeah. Like I've never yeah, actually you, seen that reaction. If you showed that footage to us five years ago, it would be ridiculous to watch. I think the amount of the amount of judgment is is really harsh. So much so that my wife and I have started calling it FOGO, which is like a fear of going out. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't want to go anywhere. You know, FOMO, I don't you know, I don't mind missing out on anything, but the, you know, talking about Los Angeles, all the restaurants might open again. Not interested, mate. I'm not interested. <laughs> Literally, just I, I found my groove here now, and I'm cool, and and <laughs> and that's it. Because you don't want you don't want to be you don't want to be judged in any way. You don't want to be kind of um, seen not doing something that you're supposed to be doing. And everyone has a voice, not just the Karens. Everyone everyone's pitching up about everything. But I saw a great little viral video today about. Just someone saying, just remember every time you're wearing a mask, don't feel bad. You probably save someone's life. If you can, if you can think about it in that in that respect, 
actually reward yourself every night for being fucking sensible and staying at home, doing the right thing, getting through this, wearing a mask if you have to go out, and that's that's it. It's not it's not rocket science. Yeah, and I, yet there's been so much crap yeah. about it everywhere, every day. And uh, to be honest, I, I I mean I have to have a few days off CNN because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a drama. Yeah, and that, that leads, that's, that's kind of my next question because like 2020 for so many reasons, well, you know, between the pandemic and the election and all the, it was, it was a lot, it was a, it was a lot going on this year. It's a big year, uh, 2020. And so I, I, 2021's had no drama. So yeah, right. Good. <laughs> Smooth sailing this far. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm wondering what you guys think the impact on content is going to be going forward. Like, you know, Grant, I'm not a big Michael Bay fan, but like that movie came and I saw the trailer of it and it's, it's year four of the pandemic. It's even more deadlier than it was. Like, no, no, I'm not. There's 0% chance of me watching that. I'm not interested. Do you guys think appetites for things will change? You know, whether Steve is a, as a creator, uh, you know, Chris as, as an actor, like what people want to see for the next couple of years might just be different. I think it's a good question. I mean, I think I think things that that directly address the pandemic. I, I don't think anyone is going to have any interest in that. And I think we've seen that from the mm -hmm. three or four um, you know um, pandemic shows that have come and gone. Um, I mean, I, we're we're in it. No one wants to. You know, you you don't you don't write a play about the nightmare you're currently having. Uh, that just. <laughs> There's not, there's not, there's no distance. There's no, you, there's no nuance to be able to be had. Um, my, my, my general feeling um, is art is going to be more necessary and gobbled up than ever. Um, I do think live experience is going to be really necessary. I think box office is going to be huge. I think restaurants are going to make tons of money. I think, um, but, but, in, but, but it is a question of what, is there going to be is there going to be this sort of idea that everyone's going to just want nice things like happy shows and no cynicism but you know there was this great debate after you know uh, after 911 like is cynicism dead no no <laughs> no and and but you know so is is it escapism? Is it going to be hedonism? It may be hedonism. It, it, I don't know. I, I. But my my overall feeling is that collective amnesia is going to strike really hard, and we're not going to have gained any fucking wisdom from any of this. Um, we're going to want to forget about it immediately. If you look, the Roaring Twenties were not a mistake, right? You could argue that it's because of World War One, but I argue because it's the because of the 1918-1919 pandemic. You know, people just wanted to then go get drunk and fucking dance to Charleston and uh, <laughs> eat goldfish. Yeah, so we may be looking at another Roaring Twenties. God damn, I hope so. I love I Charleston flapper dress. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, have I mean, I, I think the history of America is we learn nothing yeah. from anything. I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty consistent. Yeah. You know, we don't seem to learn lessons. But bit, but but I think you know, I, I think in terms of like, uh, sure, epidemiology should uh, should learn things, and politicians should learn things about national storage and about preparedness. But why should we learn? Like, what is there to learn? 
We were stuck. We were caged for 18 months. And then we get out. I'm not going back in that cage. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I mean, there, there is an element of, yeah. I mean, what am I not going, what, what am I going to learn moving forward from some Hollywood production that I didn't learn, as you said, from the 18 months in my house dealing with this unprecedented reality? Like, what, what, what am I going to learn from this show or, or, or movie? Well, I think you go, you go through the phases, don't you? You go through the, um, you know, initially it was like finding a distraction. And then it was something, trying to find something to educate. And especially for us. I mean, when Black Lives Matter kicked off, we were educating ourselves, trying to educate ourselves. So then we got into documentaries and then we found more documentaries and then we stayed on that forever. And then we needed a break so we'd watch a popcorn flick movie. And... And then you have your guilty pleasures chucked in the middle of that. I'm still astonished at how much content is still coming out. I'm like, when did you make that? <laughs> because it's it's crazy. But then you know, one of our guilty pleasures is is um, 24, right? <laughs> and um, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to watch 24 again. Just gonna just gonna crack on an app. Which one? Don't know. Let's go season three. Let's do it. Season three, I remember watching it for the first time in my southwest London flat, living on my own, uh, no view of America in any way. Uh, and um, yeah, there's a virus that's been released in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back to that again. I, I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, there were all these freaks watching Contagion. Like, Contagion jumped to yeah. number one on Netflix. Like, I watched it. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? I, <laughs> I, 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 also, I also read the, um, the, I think it's called The End of October, the Lawrence Wright novel that happened to be about a pandemic that, that came out. It was great. I loved it. I, I, I also, I think that's when people thought this was going to be done in like three weeks. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, but well, you know, when, once yeah. fall, you know, when Let's summer rolls around, it'll be fine. Sourdough, and we'll be back before we know it. <laughs> I'll exactly. look back on this thing and laugh our asses. Off. I, I, <laughs> I will learn Italian, and and then we can go back to normal. It'll be just a, just to really quickly jump off what Chris said, not to virtue signal my Berkeley roots. Um, but I do think the pandemic's not gonna teach us much. Black Lives Matter, um, I think ha is, and I think you see the entertainment industry is changing and there's a lot of um, access for sort of underrepresented voices um, being given right now. I think the, the, um, the people who run the companies have actually stepped up and I think it's gonna be I think it's going to only make for better and better art going forward. Yeah, Do you think the language the language has changed. Yeah, um, in, in in the in the casting rooms with the with the auditions with the with the with the text, it's changed yeah. and it's great. It's very very refreshing to see. Um, right, so we know we, we, we want to let you guys uh, go and again remind people you can see the little scrolly thing going down here. If you oh, want there's Andy's. a tiny URL. Yeah. There's Andy's Gigantor thing and we tweeted it out and we'll tweet it out again. I mean, you, you know, the, the link to well, go to. Uh, one is too big and the other's too small. Like we don't have the technology for the perfect link. We'll post it again many we'll, we'll, times before Sunday. Um, but it is, it's, it's Sunday at uh, 3 p.m. locally, 6 p.m. on the East Coast. When you guys look at, you know, the, you know people have been, you, you mentioned before, Chris, people have been kind of catching up on the show throughout the pandemic and you see people more, more people getting into it. 
when when people are done and they and they they look at the five seasons and they look at those characters and and everything that that the show did with them what what do you want them to take away from it what you know because th these are complicated characters doing complicated things i'm i'm going to i'm going to completely steal folks thing that he said 5 years ago uh that i've never forgotten he said in the panel show when we were at the austin film festival and he said that no matter how flawed you are you're still deserving of love and i love that i thought that was brilliant you know we we're all just trying to find our way aren't we you know and uh you have good days and bad days and you make mistakes and um and yet the, all, all that we can hope is that we grow and change and try and be better and uh that's that's why i think you know i used to i used to hear people say that oh i can relate to your character so much like during season one and i was like <laughs> really that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> I don't want to be your friend. Uh, but then, but then, by the time we got to the end of it, I was like, I was proud of that because you know every character had grown so much in their own little way, and uh, that that progression, that change, is what gives us all keeps us all rocking. Could we could we answer the couple of questions that that um, before we go that, yeah. that came on the screen? I, you I, guys can stay as long as you want. Oh no, um, I, I, just, I you know they took the time to pound out. Yeah, okay. there you go. What was that? What was that? Uh, Robin uh, Goldstein says the music for the show was amazing. I learned about more new bands from You're the Worst than I did in four years of college radio. How did Stephen think about the music and who chose it all? So Tiffany Anders was our music supervisor. Um, I, I think you're talking about that. Adam Blau was our composer, but but the 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 person who finds the what are called needle drops, the songs that that previously exist that we just then put on our show. Uh, Tiffany Anders, uh, she's um, uh, indie uh, queen. Um, Allison Anders, director um, of Gas Food Lodging. Oh wow! And, yeah, and and. Um, a bunch of great movies, uh, Mi Vida Loca, uh, that's her daughter. And um, so she she is deep into the indie world and um, in, into the rock world and found all of our stuff. And um, yeah, Indi uh, Tiffany Anders, she also performs, uh, I think, under her own name, and she's amazing. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Lorenzo uh, points out, that's why I love You're the Worst. Despite their worst tendencies, you can see everybody was trying their best. Sort of to what Chris was talking about earlier. Yeah, true. Yeah, there's a uh, there was always a wonderful section towards the last third where we, you know, they they realized either they realized the mistakes or they they got even worse into trouble. Um, uh, those were the bits like added with the music as well. I, thought, I think the music's amazing. As I said, I'm rewatching. Uh, do you remember Chicken Leg? <laughs> chicken Leg, Chicken Chicken, chicken Leg. leg. Yeah. At the end of um, at the end of uh, uh, episode two, so funny. I mean, the music's so important, but he's uh, it's it's great. I'm I'm finding it very kind of emotional, reminiscing about these kind of things. You know, it was a fantastic time. I, I, I'm just shocked that, that you you are the r truly rare actor who admits to actually watching their own stuff. Like, oh yeah. Just, and this, by the way, is this is this is another way of looking at the invitation, um, with more information on it. I'm just you know trying to trying to help out here. Thank you. That's your yeah, arm. There it is. That's his <laughs> arm. <laughs> so this, yeah, this this Sunday three o'clock. Um, 
it'll be it'll be a lot of fun please yep. please uh, buy a ticket and come watch and um and uh, uh, chris will show you his boobs there you go there right you nude. go free nudity pasties <laughs> well right offable nudity i should i should say that's right that's true. um Stephen Falk, Chris Gear, uh, this this was a ton of fun, and I really really appreciate you guys doing this again. Go uh, get yourself some tickets. We'll keep tweeting out the uh, the link to uh, to the events. Uh, it's a great show, uh, supporting a great cause and a great chance to kind of catch up with with these people doing some fun stuff this weekend, Sunday three o'clock uh, on the West Coast. Thanks guys for coming on. I really appreciate. Thank it. Thank you. The, the show's on Hulu. The show's on Hulu. If anyone wants to to watch it. You're the worst. Uh, not not yeah. this show. <laughs> not no, this show or your this show is not on Hulu. Not yet. Not, not yet. By, by the way, Chris, yeah. you should know that I told my kids uh, I was talking to the You're the Worst guy. They weren't super impressed. I then told them I was talking to the Detective Pikachu guy, and they uh, were really into it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope you get residuals every time we we upload that thing for movie night because you could afford a beach house. Oh, I tell I tell you what, that, that movie was a, a godsend. <laughs> I love, by the way, that on your IMDb, the first role that you have after you're the worst wrapped, the first role is actually uh, Roger Clifford. Because I was like, man, you want to talk about the most different direction you can possibly go? After I know, I know. We we all, we spoke about my 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 team as they say in America. But we, were, we were talking about talking about how how funny it was to do something so so different straight away, which yeah. is great. So um, yeah, next stop Doctor Who. That's who I'm going for now. <laughs> oh yeah, great. Um, all right, well we see you guys, and uh, again check out the stuff on on Sunday. And thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks so right, much, guys. See you Sunday. Go, all right, go Giants. SF Giants, not New York Giants. All bye. right, yeah, bye-bye now. For being specific. There you go. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> he's, he's still trying to leave. It's it's a hard show to leave. <laughs> trying to get him out. There you go. There you go. Um, all, right. all right, well, thanks to those guys, and uh, we'll, we'll – uh, let me throw the, uh, the thing back up there so people can see it. But um, it really is – I, the show I find fascinating, and you know, we talked a little bit about it before. And we're going to get, we'll we'll do a little bit of Lakers stuff before we get out of here. Obviously, a really fun game tonight um, in Philly. Lakers lose by a point on a Tobias Harris semi almost buzzer beater. Um, but one of the things that I think is is fascinating about that dynamic of unlikable characters and how it's funny is a they're not aspirational, but they're you know you you you're not supposed to like sort of emulate or, or want to be their behavior. It's not held up as like uh, admirable. Uh, no. What I mean, the joke is generally on these people as opposed to on the others. Uh, but it's a really hard balance between making, you know, unappealing people funny and real and all that. And the show does a fantastic job of it through five seasons. Well, I mean, one of the things that I think really helps with it is it's such it's a very heightened, almost absurdist world that they live in, even, even though it's set in LA, mm -hmm. like, you know, and it's, there's a lot that's real in terms of landmarks and and where they are, stuff like that. But I mean, Steve has talked about this before. Like it, it's a very heightened reality where I think you can get away with some of the, the really bad behavior because it is so absurd. Like, you know, there, if it were, the emotions are grounded 
And, you know, I think the, the relationships between the characters are grounded, but the world is heightened. And I think that's where you can have a certain amount of disconnection to where you can see the selfish behavior or something that you can still laugh at. And, and, you know, it's, it is tricky. I mean, that's why I asked the question earlier about the idea of, you know, what is funny to watch when it's bad versus what you draw the line with. Cause I mean, I personally, I personally believe that anything can be fodder for comedy. Like I, I don't believe in the idea of things being off limits. Well, yeah, we always make a joke. Mean, funny trumps mean. Like right, if you're going to make I mean, a joke, like funny trumps mean. And it's not always true, but it kind of sometimes is. But it's not even like mean. I mean, it's the idea of taboo subjects, things yeah, like that. Right. I think I think anything can be fodder for comedy. However, the more taboo you go and the more things that are inherently unfunny or even awful that you look to bring a comedic bent to, it just raises the bar for how good you have to do it. Because like you'll you'll see like one of the things that I, I hate with comics and you know, you often hear them bitching about cancel culture and stuff like that, is the idea that I think a lot of comics now get upset at basically audiences telling them to do better. Where I think sometimes they they want credit for being outrageous without actually trying to work off, you know, the top of their intelligence or really trying mm -hmm. to do something with the out with the outrage. They just want credit for, you know, oh, you went there. It's like, no, I mean, if, if you're not doing something with purpose, you're just looking to offend. It's not hard to offend. You just have to have a willingness to be seen. No, you what's, know, brave, what's brave and difficult now is saying the thing that is genuine and, and has truth to it that is also going to kind of offend and get you in trouble because it, yeah. it because it pokes at something that is true about and I think and I'm I'm thinking thinking this through out loud. I think it's it pokes at something that is true about the person that's listening to it as opposed to punching down. You know, right. which is, you know, I, I know that's what we were getting into with, with like Shaq the other day when we were talking to uh um was it Law or when we were just talking to among ourselves. I forget which show it was. It was, but, it was talking amongst ourselves. Yeah. Like that's part of what Shaq, like why Shaq's thing doesn't play right is because he's always punching down. But part of what, you know, uh, you know, a Chappelle or somebody like that will do where they even now will, you know, will get themselves into territory because it is hard to do stand up now if you're going to say anything that doesn't offend someone. But it's because they're uncovering something that's kind of truthful about the brand. And I think that gets back to the, the characters. I mean, the work is that there's a part of all of these people that we recognize. Like, yeah, of course. I'm a little bit like that character. I'm a right. little bit like we're all a little bit like George Costanza or Jerry Seinfeld or Elaine or Larry David or all these like just not hopefully that much. Right. I mean, and nobody likes to admit it. Nobody likes to see themselves in that light. But it's interesting when you mentioned Chappelle. And I and I find Chappelle a very interesting case right now. And on balance, I am a Dave Chappelle fan. Mm -hmm. And I think Dave Chappelle at his best is as good as anybody who has done stand-up before. And, you know, there are times when Dave Chappelle brings introspection and wisdom into comedy that is really, really insightful while still being really, really funny. 
But what I think is interesting about Chappelle too, and at times, frankly, disappointing, is he's one of these people that I think is caught up in the concept of, of cancel culture and, you know, the sort of fictitious beast that he's fighting or that other comics of his stature are fighting when in reality, I think most of them really are not. I, I can't tell you how many clips of comics I've seen, you know, talking about, well, you may not see me after this. I may be about to get canceled on some Netflix special where they got paid seven to eight figures. It's like, dude, you are clearly not about well, to get it's canceled. It's the equivalent of going on, you know, but CNN also, or, or whatever and sure. complaining that you're being canceled. It's like, but, but what I'm getting at too, beyond that is that, that attitude of cancel culture and, you know, turning it into this, you know, into this sort of automatic buzzword, I think sometimes leads to them doing comedy that punches down because they're trying to show that they are unafraid of cancel culture. And in doing that, for somebody like Dave Chappelle, I think he often ends up disp displaying the same lack of empathy mm -hmm. that he, I think, very rightfully asks for, you know, examination when it comes to what black people in this country go through. And at the same time, he will punch down in certain areas too. And it, it can be disappointing to watch. In all honesty, I, when you know he's as good as he is, yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's more you just you know it, you know when you're if you when you see stuff like that from people that you that you know are better, um, exactly, exactly. But yeah, so um, you know, cancel culture is and what that act is that's it's that's a whole hour in and of itself. Before we get out of here, let's do a little bit on on the game tonight. Uh, Lakers lose one hundred seven one hundred six, I believe it was, to the Sixers in a game that looked like they were going to lose by a lot more than that. They had a thirteen zero run. Um, at the end of the game, the last basically the last two and a half minutes of the game to take a one point lead on what was the most awesome out of bounds play. Um, they call a time. I thought this was interesting, Andy. They call timeout, whereas you know the last time they were in this situation, you know a few games ago, they didn't. They they brought the ball up. This time they brought it up. Didn't see what they wanted. Vogel calls timeout. They set up a play, and holy shit, they ran it to perfection. You see, um, Schroeder put you know a great screen on MB to spring AD and and they score and then on the other end you know the the Philly gets the switch that they want mostly i think because LeBron has you know LeBron can't leave uh Seth Curry uh you end up with a switch with with Caruso on Tobias Harris which is a mismatch that Harris can exploit and he does and the Lakers lose i i don't I don't find, I mean, I know there are some people, Andy, who will look at this and say it's a, you know, they haven't played a lot of good teams and they lost to one tonight. I don't look at this as a particularly bad loss. Uh, a, Philly's the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. And after the first quarter, the Lakers actually did a really nice job, I thought, on, you know, defensively, particularly, and figured some stuff out, at least later offensively. They just were bad offensively for most of the night. Yeah. And they also, they, they really struggled early on defending Embiid without, without sending him to the line. I mean, he, I think he took five free throws in like the first seven minutes of the first quarter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he yeah, picked up fouls about that after. Picked up fouls from Marcus Saul. I picked him up from AD. I, Montrez Harrell checked in, and I think within his first 30 seconds, ended up uh, isolated against Embiid and picked up a foul. So, you know, look, Embiid is playing at an MVP level this season. And, you know, I, I've been aware of how he's played, and I've seen clips of it, but this may be the first game of his that I've watched from start to finish this intently. And certainly against a team as good as the Lakers, 
if this is indicative of how he's been playing all year, my God, he is taking like a next step in his career. I mean, because he's, you know, his outside shot, which, you know, I used to think he frankly was wasting the Sixers and his own time, you know, camping out as much behind the arc. It's dropping with more regularity now. He seems more engaged that's like the, over the course that's of, the over the course of an entire game yes. than he has been in the past. He's just really, really good. And the formula that they clearly went for, which is just surround Embiid and Simmons with more legitimate, you cannot leave them alone shooters, it's working so far. They look yeah. really good. And you got to remember too, they're 13 and six, but also too, they've, they've had games where they've had to play with like nobody. Yeah. They had a game where technically speaking, they had eight people available. Only seven of them were actually healthy and they played the game. So Philly has been one of the teams that's been messed up by the, uh, by the COVID protocols. I, I think the, the thing, if you're, if you're a Lakers fan, I don't think you leave this game particularly concerned. Actually, I thought there were a lot of things, you know, Schroeder had a very good second half, um, played very well. He looked much more like the guy from the first couple weeks of the season than he has through than the guy through through much of January. You go, oh, okay, I remember why he's why he was so valuable at the beginning of the year. LeBron, you know, thirty four points and twelve of twenty two from the floor. The guy who continues to worry people is AD, and the line isn't terrible: twenty three points, eight rebounds, two assists, two blocks. And if if you're if you're a person who's kind of wondering like what the deal is with AD, why the numbers don't look quite right. The, the the three or four points a game that you're expecting from him are all free throws that he's not making. And he was five of 10 tonight. I'm really starting to wonder if the free throw thing is, is one of, it's not the only thing it's that's stupid and reductive, but if it's one of the things that's just kind of got him off balance, like I, 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 he looks uncomfortable with the fact he keeps missing free throws. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things when you've been as good at it as he has for certainly the recent part of his career, if not the entire majority. I don't remember all of his percentages off the top of my head. He's been, been, I mean, he's actually been quite remarkable for for a big man. Um, When you start struggling and you don't exactly know why, but it's something you've actually been really good at, it's got to feel pretty inexplicable. Um, I actually retweeted from uh, Brian mm-hmm. Horton. Tucker I'm glad Ryan, you brought this up. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, at Run the Jewels. I thought he made a really good point when he said, I feel like a rational explanation for AD this season is that between him being new to a whole new load managing thing and the super short turnaround between the finals start of the season, still working his way back into shape and peak game condition. I retweeted that and I said, there could be something to this. AD has never experienced a playoff run nearly as long as last season's which magnifies the turnaround. Conversely, LeBron is more experienced on this front, even acknowledging this year's unique circumstances. I wonder if AD is actually just feeling the effects of a finals run. I, th- I think there's probably some truth to that. I, and, I, and I look, I mean, when you don't have your legs, he is not as actively engaged. You could tell the difference between the AD defensively in the last two and a half minutes of that game versus you know other parts of it when they're trying to come back and they're doing all that stuff he's he's more active he's more engaged and as we've talked about a million times like that's good we want that we don't want him you know as you know you don't want anthony davis working in that way all game long for 72 games it's just a terrible idea i but you know and so the legs could also explain the free throws but what what's like tonight I haven't gone back and looked, but it seemed tonight it was definitely true. And it seems like it's true on others. 
it's the front end of these things that he's missing. And it's sort of the front end one is the one where you're waiting the longest and you go there. You have more time to think about it. And I, I think you're right. I think it's, you know, it's it's a lot of things at once, but he, every post game, he talks about how he's just shit and he, he's not playing well. Trust me, no fan is more uh, critical of AD right now than AD. Than like, there, I mean, LeBron was asked about, like, He's fine. Like LeBron actually seemed kind of surprised by well, the guy. I mean, look, look, I he, he's not playing at the level I think people. No, but, but, would I, think. I, but the I don't remember how the question was phrased to him. But it was it was phrased it, with like Anthony saying he's. I remember it's like Anthony, you know, was talking about struggling a lot, and you know, what are you seeing from him? And and LeBron didn't really entertain it, like you said. He just kind of dismissed yeah. the premise of the question. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is like I mean I I think. By normal human being standards, like, you know, 97% of the league would kill to be playing like Anthony Davis underachieving, mm -hmm. but AD has high standards for himself and he, he's, he has seen what he's capable of doing Yes, at the highest level. Once you get a taste of that man, you don't want to go backwards. Oh, completely. Even a little bit. And, you know, and, and, you know, it's just, you know, the, the level that's being said is, MVP, like that's kind of what people were talking about, and you know, so I the other thing, I, he's going to be fine. I mean, nobody needs to be worried about you know Anthony Davis and whether or not you know the last last year and the you know the the run in the playoffs was some sort of he's really good and everything's fine and, and there's nothing really to worry about there. The other thing I thought was really interesting is we saw again in a close game against you know an excellent opponent that closing lineup of of sort of the three guards with LeBron and AD with Schroeder, Caruso, and KCP on the floor. Um, obviously, it didn't work on that last possession. It very much did work to get them back in the game, you know, with that with that run. Um, I, this is very clearly the default lineup that Vogel's going to work with, with little substitutions here and there, perhaps based on matchups. Yeah, it was, he, without coming out and saying it, I mean, it was pretty unprompted the way he talked about the defensive potential of of that uh, Schroeder, Caruso, KCP, LeBron, AD lineup. And I mean, honestly, four of the five, uh, everybody but Schroeder, to me, feels like unless the matchup is really weird, those guys are locks. And it's really the fifth guy that's TBD. But but Schroeder has made a good case for himself, certainly on balance. And you know, even when his Shot hasn't been falling. He has been struggling offensively, really, in January. He still plays with a ton of energy. He plays with a lot of defensive, I think, focus. He's a much better defender than he was sort of advertised. Yes, he, he has been better than I thought he was, to, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, it it feels like he, he got better over the last couple of years. And it wouldn't shock me if he actually picked up some stuff last year in OKC because that team – you know, when you're playing with guys like Chris Paul and Steven Adams and, you know, Lou Dort entered the league really knowing how to defend. Shea Gilzer's Alexander, you know, at his best is, I think, actually a above average defender. I think there's going to be stuff that you just pick up. Um, but, you know, he he's made a case for himself to be a part of that regularly. <laughs> By the way, too, we heard Frank Vogel say fuck. He did. He he was so mad at a call against Anthony Davis, he f bombed the referee. I 
I it was actually pretty jarring to hear that word from Frank Vogel. And, and he's he's going to get fined for washing his own mouth out with soap because he had to take his mask off. Um, but you know what though? I actually saw him a lot keeping his mask up while still angry and still probably f bombing the refs at the same time because we've talked about this before. There may be nobody in America more conscious of wearing his mask at all times than no, Frank. He's, he's very good. He's he is not a super spreader. No, Frank but I mean, like Frank Vogel dropping f bombs is kind of hilarious. Yeah, he's very out of character. I I was I was proud of him. I was um, too. Yeah, but I I think you know the Schroeder thing. Like you see offensively, I think in the second half tonight you see offensively what he does and what he can do. In terms, you know, he hit the big three. Caruso hit another big three, which is huge. But the speed with with which Schroeder can get to the rim is such a nice outlet to have. To have that third shot creator, yeah. um, you know, the third guy who can create a shot for himself on the floor uh, is is a really nice luxury for the Lakers. It's something that they have not had um, even last year when they won a title. And I think it's it's a it, if his defense uh, and you know guys like Pete Zayas. Uh, Cranjus McBasketball Tim, you know, from uh, uh, bballindex.com. They've done a lot of these breakdowns of what Schroeder does defensively well. Um, and it fits with with that group. So yeah. it, this, this is the group. Um, people are still upset that, you know, they want Caruso to get more minutes and finish games. I just think ultimately, you know, you're going to see less THD played tonight. You're going to see less Morris who only played Morris played 13 minutes. You're just going to see those guys playing a lot less. You know, Cruz only I, played 16 um, I right now with THT. And, and I believe in THT's potential. I, I think he's going to be a legitimate NBA player. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But right now he, he feels when he plays like he's being shoehorned in he I mean, because, because Vogel plays such a big rotation as it is. It's hard. I, I think it starts becoming difficult for a lot of these guys to really get into a groove, you know, not just individually, but collectively when there are enough guys going in and out of that lineup. Like at some point, it, forget being an 11-man rotation, he's probably going to have to whittle it down to to nine or maybe nine and a half. But I, I think you're going to start seeing Vogel, you know, maybe not by the end of January, even by no, but, you know, as, as the season, season goes along. And THC is not going to play as much, and Morris is, you know, it, it, and it'll be fine. You want guys to be, it's the equivalent of giving, you know, the the fourth or fifth, or you know, the fourth outfielder an extra start every week because you want them to be able to play when you need them. And that's how Vogel did it last year. It's how it's going to happen this year. And we all saw, like, he didn't play an 11-man rotation in the playoffs. No. And he's not going to this year. Um, no. All right. So, Lakers lose. Um in Philly. Turned out to, it, it started out a really choppy, kind of ugly game by the oh, end. It was, it was fun. fun. Yeah, it was a the Lakers looked like they, they did not play a really particularly good game. Um, it was a grind. Uh, they were still close at halftime, they still kept it in, and they had obviously I like you know, I think you, you like that they didn't quit on the game. Like oh. Lakers sort of have that implicit permission to to go ahead and fold it up when they're down by nine or ten points with a couple minutes left, and nobody's really here the they, they are blatantly pacing themselves and exuding as much energy as is necessary without going even like a fraction overboard if they can avoid it and by the way you and i have both said that is the smart call given the context of this season 
but they are not blowing off the regular season. They didn't blow it off last year. They're not blowing it off this year. Yep. They're, they are doing this with professionalism, not indifference. Huge there's a difference, difference, but there's a difference. Um, all right. So a lot, a lot of fun stuff coming up on the show uh, for the rest of the week and into next week. Tomorrow night, Sam Escandiari and uh, Andy Liu from the Light Years podcast up in the Bay Area. They uh, are a ton of fun. And so we'll talk more NBA, a lot of uh, Pacific Division hoops. Um, Friday, Nakias Duncan, who is just, if you don't know him, find him on Twitter. One of the best young basketball writers out there, just really getting everybody to stand up and kind of notice the work that he's doing um, with basketball news, among you know, other places. He's got a great new podcast that we'll talk about as well. Monday, Meta World Peace going to join yes. the show. Yes. We'll have Meta with us for an hour from 10 to 11. Uh, I don't think I have to tell you that Meta World Peace is a is a fun man to talk to for an hour. Yes, um, and then Tuesday, Jake Brennan, who is the host of the incredibly entertaining Disgraceland podcast. Um, really uh, just a fun music show uh, with kind of a crimey and grimy twist to it. Actually, it it, uh, it celebrate or it doesn't celebrate. I should not say that's the wrong way to set it up. It takes it takes deep looks at. Frankly, I mean, it's fitting for the show we were talking about today and the characters on You're the Worst. Bad behavior, yes, in, in popular music and rock and R and B and rap, and it breaks of down which there, of which there is some. Yeah, it breaks down all these different stories of just crazy excessive behavior. I've been a big fan of this podcast for a few years now. Very, very excited to have so, it on. Yeah, some great guests to finish up this week. Meta World Peace and Jake Brandon to start off next week. Fun stuff coming up on the Late Night Happy Hour. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast uh, so you never miss an episode. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. Uh, or just show up here and never miss an episode. We'll see everyone tomorrow night. Thank you, Nidolan. <laughs> <laughs>